uh, in 2000, uh, a film came out uh, called Castaway, starring uh, Tom Hanks. You guys remember this film? Uh, if, if you don't remember it, mo- most people uh, remember it by the, uh, the, the volleyball that he talked to. You, you remember the name of the volleyball? Okay, cool. So you guys remember that? He, he was stranded on a desert island, um, and, and he was, uh, again, talking to this volleyball to remain uh, sane. Um, and, and what he has to do is survive on this island alone, and, and um, he, he is trying to uh, make fire. So everybody remembers the volleyball, but do you remember the scene where he's trying to make fire? He's, he's rubbing these two sticks together, fervently working at uh, creating an ember that he can put into a tinder bundle and, and blow into it so that he can create uh, a, a flame. And, and he's working and trying. And I don't know if you've ever tried to do this or, or been uh, hunting or camping or, and had to do this, but it's very, very difficult to do. And, and he tries and he tries and he fails and he fails, but finally, finally he gets it and he gets the ember and and it goes into the tinder bundle and he blows it and blows it and all of a sudden the flame, you know, comes up and he he starts screaming and and yelling. Uh, The the scene kind of ends right there and it cuts to him uh, that night and he has built this massive bonfire. You guys remember this scene? And and he's dancing around the bonfire, uh, singing a song by the doors, right? (laughs) Come on, baby, light my fire. He's He's dancing and singing, and he pauses, and this is so interesting to me. He, he pauses as he's built this, this great fire, and again, he's on this island alone, but, but he looks out into the emptiness. He looks out into the forest and, and out across the sea and, and is speaking, and, and, and he, he looks at the fire, and he says, look what I have created, you know, and he, and he starts beating his chest and says, I have made fire, you know, and, and he's, just, he's so proud about what, what he's what he's done. And, and the reason that I found that so interesting is, is because it is so typical of us all. It is so typical of us all to look at something we've accomplished, something that we have done, and, and want to pronounce to all peoples of the earth, look what I have created. It, it starts when we're kids, doesn't it? I mean, parents in here, don't your kids say to you, daddy, watch. Daddy, look. Mom, watch. I mean, if you have kids today that are, that are in back in, in gospel kids, they're, they're, they're probably going to make some type of craft. Uh, and, and at the end of church, your, your kid is probably going to come into to this room and show it to you and say, Daddy, look. Mama, look. Look what I, look what I made. And, and as we grow, it doesn't change. Now, we, we generally don't pronounce it to the world like that. You know, we, we generally don't say, hey, everyone, I've graduated college. Look how awesome I am. You know, we, we generally don't say it like that. But it is still said in our hearts. When we create something, when we build something, when we achieve something, there's a sense inside of us that says, I did that. I, I made that. I accomplished that. I, 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 I did that. All good things in my life happened to me because... I work harder than other people. I'm smarter than other people. I'm, I'm better. I'm actually more talented and more creative. And, and that's why all of these good things have happened to me. They've happened to me because I did that. Now, the problem with that type of thinking is that pure and simple, it's pride. 
pure and simple. When you, when you boil it down to look at that and say, I did that, I made that, I created that. The truth is all of it is really a gift, right? When, when it's the promotion at work, that's a gift. When you lose 20 pounds, that's a gift. When you graduate college, when you have your first child, when you buy a home, to, to look at any of those accomplishments and say, I did that, those are mine, that is a heart of pride. The truth is, all of it is a gift. Pride says, I am the author when really it has been given to you of God. You see, pride is cosmic plagiarism. Pride is cosmic plagiarism. I mean, just imagine if I were to go out into the lobby and I were to take some of the books uh, that, are, that are on the table uh, in the back and, and I were to mark out the author's name, right? I just, I take a, a Sharpie and just write right through John Piper's name, just eep, right? And right up underneath, I write Kirk McDonald, right? And I say, look, everyone, I have, I've made this. I did this. You would say, no, you didn't write that. You didn't make that. You didn't do that. And I would say, yes, I did. You'd say, no, you didn't. You're, you're plagiarizing now. That, that was a, a gift um, written by this great author and given to us to enjoy. You can't take credit for that because you didn't do that. But that's exactly what we do, isn't it? Pride is cosmic plagiarism. God has authored all of the gifts and the blessing in your life. So to say that you're the author is plagiarism. Okay. So, the question this morning, are you prideful? Do you struggle with pride? And before you say no, to say no is an indication that you actually do. That's a dirty trick on my part, isn't it? Do you struggle with pride? Do you struggle with pride? Do you find pride lurking in your heart? The truth is all of us do. That's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is that all of us this morning can come in on this common ground and say together, we, we are sinners and, and there is pride lurking deep in our hearts. Let, let, me, just, let me just prove this to you. Say, uh, now, now some of you uh, are Facebook stalkers, okay? Um, and and let, let's say you, uh, ha, you know, are, are is stalking around um, and, and you find somebody's uh, profile, and, and it's somebody that, that you went to high school with, or maybe somebody you graduated college with, or, 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 and, and you start looking around, and you see that, oh, well, here, here's a picture of their house, and mine's a little bigger. Here, here's a picture of the car they drive, and you know, mine's a little nicer. The dudes in the room might say, oh, there's their wife, and mine's more attractive. I did that. I achieved that. I accomplished that. I got further than they did in life, right? They're still stuck in some dead-end job, and look at the job I have. I did that. Hey, I got to preach this stuff, guys. It, it, it hurts me just as much as it hurts you. Now, here's the other side of the coin of pride. When a prideful heart lacks or is denied something, it says, I'm owed that. Now, the prideful heart, when it accomplishes, when it achieves, it says, I did that. But the prideful heart, when it doesn't accomplish, or when it doesn't achieve, or when it doesn't get what it wants, it is upset and frustrated 
and discontent and said, I'm owed that. So again, let's go back to the, you know, your Facebook stalking. You, you see that person you went to high school with. You see that person you went to college with. You see that person that's just ahead of you in life or, or, or right in your same life stage. They've got the bigger house. They've got the better car. They've got the nicer looking wife. And, and, and you say, well, why can't I have that? I'm owed that. I deserve that. I should get the love. I should get the attention. Why does everybody listen to him? Why does everybody call her for advice? I should get that. I'm owed that. That is the heart of pride. So we can define pride this way. It'll come up on the screen. Pride can be defined as an inflated sense of one's accomplishments and status. Or simply stated, it's the heart that says, I did that and I'm owed that. Even more simply stated, pride is a preoccupation with self. I did that. I am owed that. That's pride. That is, that is the heart of pride. Now, let's ask this question. Um, isn't that just good self-esteem? You know, shouldn't, shouldn't we think that way? You know, I accomplished this. Isn't it, isn't it, isn't it good to accomplish things? And, and isn't it good to uh, acknowledge your gifts and your strengths and say, I did that, I accomplished that? And, and when you're not given what you're owed, shouldn't you uh, feel that way? Shouldn't you feel betrayed if you are betrayed? Shouldn't you, um, I mean... Shouldn't, isn't this a good thing? Isn't this just good self-esteem to, to say, I, I owed that, I accomplished that. I'm just telling the truth, right? I'm, I'm just saying it like it is. This is what I did. I built this. I created this. I achieved that. Or when you don't get those things, well, you know what? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. So I should get those things. I'm owed those things. Isn't that just good self-esteem? Well, here is the problem with that. The problem is that pride is the beginning of all sin. Think about that. To cultivate a prideful heart is to cultivate a heart that is going to step into and nourish all types of other sin. Think about it this way. Um, why are people stingy with their money? Okay, They, they uh, they, they don't give generously to people in need. They, they, they don't support a local church, uh, which is seeing the gospel preached. Uh, they, they're stingy with their money. Why is that? Well, the root of that is because in their heart, they say, that's my money. I did that. I achieved that. Why, why would a person walk in sexual sin? Well, because they deserve it, Right? Why, why would a, a, a husband cheat on his wife? Well, because I deserve better. Pride. Uh, when when, when um, husband and wife, when they get into a bitter argument and, and they start yelling at one another and demeaning one another, why would they do that? Well, because one or the other feels like I have not been given the respect I am owed. I'm owed that. You you. Give that to me now because of who I am. It's pride. You see how pride is the beginning of all sorts of types of sin that lead to destruction in our life. This is the famous proverb that we all know. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, pride goes before destruction 
and a haughty spirit before a fall. Even, even this week, uh, during my, my prayer time, I was calling out to the Lord and, and, and just praying and, and, and praying over a specific situation. And, and I said, Lord, can't, can't you just cut me a break here, Lord? Anybody ever prayed that prayer, right? Just, Lord, just cut me a break here, man. You know, get, cut me a break because I deserve it, is what I said. And immediately, I knew what was lurking in my heart. Immediately, I thought, that's pride. Pride. It's very sneaky. It's very sneaky, that pride. So, again, as painful as it is for me to uh, preach this, as painful as it is for you to hear it, I have to preach it. Um, so, here, here is what I, I hope will happen today. My hope uh, is that we will all see that we struggle with pride and that we would begin to walk in freedom from this joy-robbing disease through the power of Jesus. Okay? Pride is a joy-robbing disease. When your whole world is about you, that is a miserable way to live. You know really prideful people? You know anybody like that? I mean, again, nobody in this room, but you know really prideful people? Aren't they just miserable? They're just miserable people. And when we create our world to focus on us and, and, to, and, and to make sure that everybody knows, I did that, I'm owed that, I've accomplished that, it makes your life miserable, it robs your joy. So, so my hope today is that through the power of Jesus, we would be able to look to him, focus on him, see him for all that he is. And by keeping our eyes on Jesus, by focusing on him, it would show us our proper place. It would show us where we are, who we are. It would let us see all of the good things in our life we have received as a gift, as a gift. And that that would free us to live a life of joy. A joyful person sees their whole life as a gift. That's the person who has joy. That's the person who, who has true joy no matter the circumstances because they see everything that they have as a gift from the Lord. It's not about me. It's not about what I've earned. It's not about what I've done. It's about the gifts that God has given me. And so I can freely give. I can freely receive because all of it is a gift from God. That's the humble person. And by God's grace, I hope that we would walk out today with that in our hearts. Now, to the text, um, we are going to see the fall and the rise of King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, we're going to see the fall. We've already seen the rise, right? We, we've seen him rise to power. We've seen him conquer peoples, uh, amass a massive kingdom. Today, we're going to see the fall and the rise uh, of this man named Nebuchadnezzar. Now, uh, just for a moment, I, I want you to imagine yourself back in Babylon. This is some uh, several hundred years before Jesus even shows up on the scene. So I, I want you to imagine yourself back in that great city. Imagine the great walls of that city. Um, imagine uh, you're standing in the great market 
um, of Babylon, and you know uh, the, the king, and, and uh, he is a, a very powerful king, and he's, he's conquered all of your neighboring um, enemies, and, and, and now those armies now work for him. Uh, he is a fantastic military leader. He's a fantastic politician who has, has been able to gather all of these nations together under one rule, and so there you are standing in the markets uh, of Babylon going about your, your, your day, and you're buying uh, some groceries maybe for for dinner that night, and, and you bump into a friend in the market, and the, and, and the friend says to you, have you heard about the king? And you say, no, what's, what's going on? And, and your friend says to you, standing in the market in Babylon, they, they, they say to you, the king has gone nuts. I mean, he's, he's lost it. I mean, he, he's, he has, the, the cheese has fallen off of his sandwich. I mean, he, he has lost his mind, Okay. And, and you say, what are you talking about? I mean, everybody's saying he, he went like running out of the, the, the palace and, and started like eating grass in the field. People are trying to talk to him and, and he's just totally, he, he only grunts now. We have no idea what's going on and you just can't believe it. You say, that, that's insane. That, that, there's no way that that has happened. So you, you go and, and lo and behold, there in your next door neighbor's field is the king. He is looking a little woolly. Uh, his fingernails have grown very long. You, there, there are some officials over there, maybe, maybe from the palace, and they're going, King, come on. You know, they're, they're trying to catch him, but, but he, he won't be caught. I mean, he's just wild. He's got this wild and blank stare in his eyes. And, and you're thinking, what in the world is going on here? And then a few uh, months go by, maybe a few years go by, you find yourself in the marketplace again, and all of a sudden you hear trumpets, and, and, then, and then the chariot, you see the chariot, and, and there's the king, and, and he's had a haircut, and he shaved his crazy beard, and someone has trimmed his fingernails, and there he is riding in his chariot, and behind his chariot, there, there comes all of the other chariots of the officials, and they're right behind him, and you see him whiz right on by, and you go, all right, I, I guess he's back. You go to your friend in the market and you say, do, do you know what's happened? I mean, the king was nuts and now he's not. I mean, what, do you know what's going on? And they say, no, we have no idea what's going on, but, but the king is going to release a statement. Say, oh, okay, great. And that is exactly what we have here in Daniel chapter four. Uh, the king has released this statement to the peoples because they are very confused about what happened. One day he was fine. The next day he's eating grass. Nobody knows what's going on. All of a sudden he, he comes back to his right mind. He's restored. And so this is a statement released by the king. Daniel helps him put it together. And we find it written here in this great book. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples. So, so there's the press. The press have gathered the, the, the people from the city are all gathered around to, you know, king, king, you know, they're all raising their hands, call, you know, and, and, and he says this, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwelt in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Very typical uh, greeting way to start his announcement. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and the wonders that the most high God has done for me. You can imagine at this point, when the king utters these words, the people would have gasped. This is not the type of guy who says that sort of thing. He, he, he might say this. 
Uh, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has done for you all by installing me as your great king. But he doesn't say that. What does he say? The wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. These were not signs and wonders that were done for anyone else. Here he makes it personal. What, what is so interesting is look who this is addressed to. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages. You guys remember last chapter, he had built the statue. And, and he is calling who to worship the statue? He called all nations and languages to worship the statue that he had built, but now he is calling to all peoples and nations to tell them about the great signs and wonders that God had done, not for someone else, but the great signs and wonders that God had done for him. To say that God had done something for him means that he is in need of God doing something for him. You see, prideful people don't ask for help. Because to ask for help means you are in need. To have someone do something for you shows that you don't have the whole world in your hands. To ask for help shows that you are weak and that you don't have it all together. Ouch moment warning. Ladies, does your husband ask for help? He needs help for sure. I am a husband. I know I need help. Does he ask for help? Does he reach out to you and ask you for help? Does he reach out to other brothers in Christ and ask them for help? Ask them for prayer. Ask them to help on a specific project that he's got going on at the house. Prideful people don't ask for help. It's the humble who admit, I'm in need. I need prayer. I need counsel. I need somebody to help me with this. But prideful people refuse to ask for help. Here, He's telling everybody about what God had done for him, showing that he is in need. Prideful people say, I've got this, I can do this, and I don't need anyone's help. Humble people say, I don't got this, I don't have it under control, and I know I need help. Now, that's the introduction. Uh, verses 4 through 18, uh, he gets in and, and he has this dream, okay? Uh, he is hanging out in the palace. He, he has this dream. Let's just, I'm gonna read through it again. It's God's word. It's good to read. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace, and I saw a dream that made me afraid as I was laying in bed. Fancies and visions in my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make it known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, uh, 
because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no uh, mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretations. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. In it was food for all the beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, behold, a watcher, a holy one came down and he proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches and strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the fields let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass and the earth. Let his mind be changed from man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end of the living, uh, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of man and gives it to whom he will and sets it the lowliest of men. The dream, this dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make it known to me, the interpretation, but you are the spirit, the holy gods is in you. Now, um, what's very interesting, look back at verse four. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. You have to know this man was an absolute monarch. He had conquered all of the surrounding peoples. Nobody told this guy what to do. He was the guy that told everybody else what to do. You, you, you gotta get this vision in your mind. I mean, just, just like the old movies that you've seen, there's, there's King Nebuchadnezzar. He's, he's sitting on you know, big fluffy pillows and there's servants on either side you know, with, the, with the big leaves fanning him. And, you know, and there's the ladies with the grapes. You know? I, mean, th- this is that, I mean, he's that guy. Uh, if you go back and, and do your history, you'll, you'll see that probably he was one of the most powerful men to ever walk the earth. Not, not just alive at that time, but one of the most powerful men to ever walk the earth. This guy was sitting in the lap of luxury, okay? This guy had comfort, safety, luxury, security, all of it was his. Everything is going well for this guy. If you know, again, what's going on during this time, there are crops in the field, there's fruit in the trees, there's livestock in the barns, and he has nothing to worry about because he's conquered everybody, He's, he made it. He made it to the top. Yet, as I lay in my bed, fancies and visions of my head alarmed me. Friends, listen to this. No matter how prosperous you, you become, it will never be enough. This guy did it. I mean, he did it. He, he is richer than anybody in this room will ever be. He had more power than anyone in this room will ever have. And yet there was something missing. He did not have peace in his soul. The human soul wants something so big that you can pour into it all of the empires of the world and it still will not be satisfied. He got to say, I did that. I accomplished that. I'm the man. Everyone listens to me. 
He got to fulfill all of our prideful desires. Every prideful desire you have ever had, he did it 10 times over and it still wasn't enough. The truth is, the human soul wants something bigger than the world. Think about that. The human soul wants something bigger than the world. Now, it does not matter how many times you get to say, I did that, I accomplished that, I'm the smartest, I work harder than all of the others. It's never enough. And most of us spend our whole lives trying to get there. Neb got there, and it wasn't enough. I mean, just case in point, think about as, as you're going through the grocery store line and you look to your left or you look to your right and you see all of the magazines talking about this celebrity breakup and this celebrity got arrested and, and you think these people have it all. Why are they so miserable? It's because they got there and realized it wasn't enough. They fulfilled all of their prideful desires. They made it to the top. They made the major motion picture. They, they sang the number one chart-topping song. And then they realized it wasn't enough. And that's exactly where the king finds himself. He has this terrifying dream. Okay, what, what was the dream? Well, the dream was this. There was a big tree. A really, really, really big tree. Now, under it, everybody fit. Okay? The, the, the whole world was able to gather under this tree. That's how big this tree was. So tall it reached up to heaven. Not only was it a big tree, uh, but, but, it, but it was a nourishing tree. Everybody ate from the tree. All flesh fed from this, this great tree. But then the watchers, some angels, some holy ones show up and they say this tree needs to be cut down. Okay? Then we discover that the tree is... Not really a tree, but the tree is a person. Take a look back at verse 15. But leave the stump of its, okay, so we're talking about it, there is the tree. Leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. So, so the tree went from being an it to being a him. So now we're talking about a person. This tree is a representation of a person. Then we discover this person is going to be given a beast's mind for seven periods of time. Okay? At this point, uh, the commentators lose their minds and, and go nuts. Uh, is this seven months? Is this seven seasons? Is this seven years? I don't know. I know it's a long time, and it probably seemed even longer to him. And throughout however long it was, it wasn't fun at all to be him. Okay, That's what we need to know. Moving on. So... That's what happens um, in the dream, and he has to get Daniel to come in to tell him that he is the tree. Bro, you the tree. Cut down. Sasquatch mind. Put right on you. And, and you're going to, that's, that's you. That's you. Take a look at 24 through 27. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon the Lord my king right? You're, you're the tree. 
that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for, for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Pride says, I rule. This whole thing is about showing us that heaven rules. Verse 27, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Okay? Uh, the interpretation of this is that the king will be literally transformed into a beast. Okay? That, that is what is going to happen to him. Um, uh, there is a known medical condition where people um, actually believe they are an animal. Um, whether God struck him with this mental illness um, or just m- turned him into a beast, I mean, th- th- this is a very, very um, weird kind of thing. I mean, has anyone ever seen God turn someone into a Sasquatch? Okay, probably None of us in the room, it's a very strange thing. And so we, we got to ask the question, why? <laughs> why did he do this, right? I mean, there's lots of ways to humble. I mean, why is he doing this? Look back at verse 17, because this idea is told to us. Look back at verse 17. This sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end, living Look, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men. Look at verse uh, 25. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of the heavens for seven periods of time till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men. Said twice. Look in verse uh, 32, I believe. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time will pass over you until you know, surprise, surprise, here it is, the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. Why does he turn him into this crazy creature? Why does he send him out of the kingdom to eat grass? Why does he make his hair grow long like eagle's feathers and claws like birds? Because he had to humble him. He was prideful and he needed to be taken down a notch or two. Anybody ever needed to be taken down a notch or two? This is the way God in his sovereignty and mercy chooses to do it to this king. King Neb was so full of pride that it took turning him into a beast to get him to realize that he was not as awesome as he thought he was. The truth is, for all of us, we need to give glory to God for what he has done. Praise him for your house. Praise him for your car. Praise him for your beautiful children. Praise him for the job that you have. Praise him for the gifts that he has given you. This is what the king needed to do. 
And so for all of us, as we look at this guy who refused to praise God for the gifts that he was given, this is what happened to him. And for all of us, pride is destructive and it destroys us. And anytime the, the pride leads to more sin, it leads to more sin, it just creates more destruction and more corrosion in our lives. And so we need to live a life that says, God, everything I have, all the good things in my life are a gift from you. And I praise you and I honor you for it, God. This has got to be the heart that we find beating in our chests. God, all of it is a gift from you. All of it is a gift from you. He tries and, and calls him to repent. Did you see in verse 27? Look at, look at what he says here. Daniel pleading with the king, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. He, he's pleading here with the king. He's pleading with him with the two things that are antithetical to pride. Repentance and generosity. Those are the two things that are antithetical to pride. Repentance. Repent, O king. Walk in righteousness and, and generosity. Serve and, and love people. Again, because prideful people don't repent. Men in the room, when, when is the last time, I, I want to speak to you men specifically, when is the last time you got on your knees before the Lord and just repented of sin. I know, I know, I, I've done this, Lord. I know I've said this. I know I've thought this, God. I'm a, I'm a sinner, Lord. Would you forgive me? Men, when is the last time you've done that? Men, when is the last time you went to your wife and you, and you said, honey, I, I blew it. You know, I, I know I've, I've tried to do these things. I said I was going to do this, but I didn't, and I'm sorry. I, I repent. I ask, I've asked the Lord to forgive me and I ask you to forgive me. Prideful people can't do that. He, he also pleads with the king again to be generous. But prideful people can't be generous. Why? Because everything they have is theirs. I earned it. I made it. I built it. I did it. I'm not going to give it away. It's all mine. So he asked him to do the two things that are antithetical. The question is, does he repent? Does he does he change? Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 months. He was walking on the roof in the royal palace of Babylon. Didn't repent. He heard what God was going to do. Daniel pleads with him. Dude, you, you got to stop walking in pride. You need to repent. I had this vision in my mind of him waking up the next day, running to the mirror, you know, checking to see if his hair started growing, maybe looking at his teeth, you know, seeing if they had gotten any pointier or weird. And then a month went by and nothing happened to him. Kept walking in pride. Another month, month five, month six, maybe he's still looking in the mirror, but probably not. Maybe he's forgotten all about it. The Lord isn't going to do what he said he was going to do. I don't have to worry about it. I'm going to keep walking in pride. He delayed repentance. He delayed repentance. He delayed repentance. Friends, I beg and plead with you today. 
Do not delay repentance. Repent before the Lord. Acknowledge the sin that you have in your life. He delayed repentance and grew more and more callous, so much so that he says this, And this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built? There it is. I did it. I built it. I'm owed it. I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Watch this. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time will pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. Verse 33, don't miss this word immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird claws. Terrifying, terrifying. There he says it so clearly. I built it, I did it. The Lord told him what was gonna happen. Daniel begged and pleaded with him to repent. He did not. He continued to walk in pride. He looked out across the famous hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. He looked out uh, across his great walls. If you, if you know about the city of Babylon, it had multiple walls. Uh, some historians have said they were 40 foot high and, and 20 foot thick. I mean, these are just massive walls. And he looks out across all that he's created. And he says, I built that. I did that. And immediately as the words were just leaving his mouth, the Lord changed his mind to be that of the mind of a beast. Again, we can only imagine what happens next because it doesn't really tell us exactly what transpired next. But, but have you ever seen a caged animal? Have you ever seen an animal backed into a corner? You, you can just imagine that he started going wild and, and ran down the halls of the palace and people are freaking out going, what, what's happening? And the, and the king just runs out and flees the palace and, and goes out and finds his now new place of comfort out in the field eating grass. And there he stays. Verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. As quickly as his mind was changed into a beast after the Lord's decree time was over, his mind was changed right back. And it says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the time, my reason returned to me. Again, very interesting. He said that twice now. At the time, my reason returned to me, 
And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works and right, uh, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He is restored He is given back his kingdom and even more greatness is added to him. Look at verse verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me. My reason returned to me. Look at verse 34. My reason returned to me and I blessed the most high God. He said that twice. What's that getting after? It's getting after this. Pride is irrational. That's what it's, my reason returned to me and I realized who God was. I I realized that all that I have has been given to me by him. Friends, did you decide what year you were going to be born? Did you decide in in what uh, type of family you were going to be brought into? Did you decide who your parents were going to be? Did you decide your talents? Did you decide your abilities? No, you didn't. So therefore, it's irrational to be prideful. To say, I did that, I built that, I made that, when it's God who has been blessing you from day one. Now, as I read this text, as I read the end, there's a really curious thing. Again, we're talking about being humble here. We're saying that God made, turn this guy into a beast in order to humble him. And look at verse 36. My majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Huh? That sounds prideful, doesn't it? I read that and I thought, what? He, God just went through all this stuff like with the dream and the tree and the cutting it down and sending the watchers and had this guy out in the field for seven seasons, brings him back. And then all of a sudden right here, uh, and uh, my kingdom was established and still more greatness was added to me. And I thought, did it work? Did it do what it was supposed to do? Here's the distinction. Listen to this because this is so important, okay? Don't be confused by false humility, okay? Today we're talking about true humility, but don't be confused by false humility. I have said that your heart shouldn't say, I did that, I built that, I'm owed that, I deserve that. That that is a prideful heart and your heart should not say that. But there's also, um, the other side of that coin is humility, but not false humility. Let's talk about false humility. False humility says, I'm a worm. I'm so awful and terrible. I'm not smart enough, attractive enough, or interesting enough for people to love me. I don't deserve any good thing, and so I will reject good things that come my way. That's false humility. You ever talk to somebody who's full of false humility? You say, hey man, you did a great job. No, I didn't. It was awful. No, I mean, like, it, it was really cool. I mean, you're, you're a pretty funny guy. I'm not funny. People, people don't like me. 
No, man, I'm, I'm trying to pay, you're trying to pay him a compliment. No, I, I like your shirt. Oh, this? No, it's, it's awful. I hate it. Well, I was just saying you had a cool shirt, man. Just calm down. So some might look at that and say, oh, he's so humble. You know, I mean, anytime you pay him a compliment, he says, oh, no, I'm, I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I don't deserve anything good. And say, oh, man, that guy's humble. That's not humble. That's false humility. Why? Because it's still centered on who? Self. I'm dumb. I'm not smart enough. I mean, of course I don't have a nice house. I mean, but why would I ever have nice things? See? That sounds humble, but it's not humble. It's false humility because it's still centered on self. I'm too dumb. I'm not smart enough. I'm not attractive enough. Nobody likes me. Guess I'll go eat worms. Okay? Don't be confused by false humility. True humility lifts up its eyes off of self and sets them on God. It says, I'm a sinner. True humility says, I cannot help myself. True humility says, I know I can be a real jerk sometimes. But in Christ, I am washed clean of my sins and declared a saint. In Christ, I can accomplish all things that he has set for me to do. In Christ, I can put others first and be less of a jerk. Right? True humility receives life as a gift. True humility doesn't push away life as a gift. True humility doesn't push away the the gifts that God is bringing into our lives. The king here doesn't have to say, oh no, I don't deserve to be king. I mean, I was so prideful back then. I I don't deserve any counselors. I don't deserve for my kingdom to grow bigger. I'm I'm so awful and terrible. No, no, no. He sees them now as all gifts from God so he can freely receive them. And just as freely as he received them, he can give them right away. That is true humility. So here we see King Neb receive his kingdom back, not because he earned it or did it, but received it back as a gift. As we close out this great chapter of this great book, we read his words, and those who walk in pride, he, God, is able to humble. Friends, I know many of you And I know many of you have prideful fathers who are far from the Lord. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. He's able to do it. Don't ever stop believing that the Lord can change even the most proud heart. He's able So when we look at this story, we can be filled with hope. So I'm going to close with this. How can we be healed from the sickness of pride and walk in humility? I said at the beginning, I'll say it again, by looking to Jesus. By looking to Jesus. Did you see Jesus in this text? Did you see Jesus come shining through the pages? You know, the whole Bible is about Jesus, right? The whole Bible is about Jesus. Did you see Jesus come shining through this text? Here's how we saw it. Here's how we can lift up our eyes and place them on Jesus. Number one, in his dream, King Neb is the tree that all are under. But in reality, Jesus is the true tree that today as Christians, we find ourselves under being blessed, protected, and nourished. Jesus is the true tree. 
And again, he, he's got this dream that he's the tree. He's not the tree. His tree got cut down. Jesus is the true tree that as Christians, we find ourselves being protected by the Lord. Listen, if you're a Christian today, you're a Christian because of Jesus, because Jesus died for you, because he saved you, and that he is right now uh, protecting you. That, that's why you're still a Christian. You're not still a Christian because you're so good, you're so smart, and, and you've made it this far. You're still a Christian because Jesus has been holding on to you. He has carried you. He's been loving you, nourishing you, and protecting you. You are under the safety of his protection, under his tree. Number two, both kings started in a place of lavish comfort, then went to a place of disgrace and discomfort. There is King Neb looking out across his, his whole kingdom in a place of comfort, and then he is taken low, low to become a beast in the field. Jesus was sitting up above his kingdom, looking across not a small, tiny kingdom in Babylon. He was looking across the universe. He was looking across his kingdom, and then he was taken low, 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 down to be a servant. You, you have to see that, that the fall was just as far between the two kings. Jesus didn't become a beast, but he became a servant. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He went from being praised by the angels who surrounded him day and night saying, holy, holy, holy. He went all the way down to down on his hands and knees, stripping off his outer garments with a wash basin, washing the nasty, dirty feet of the disciples. Both kings went from way high to way, way down low. Number three, King Neb was humbled because of his pride. Jesus chose to be humble for our pride. Jesus goes to the cross and nails down all of your irrational pride to that cross. Lastly, number four, King Neb's humiliation came to an end. Remember, he was restored back. Just as Jesus' humiliation came to an end and he is now exalted on high. Philippians 2, 1 through 10. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of this same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or pride or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men and finding himself in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, and even death on a cross. Listen to this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. With our eyes fixed on Jesus, how can we boast? With our eyes fixed on Jesus, how can we walk in pride? When we look and see how, how he humbled himself, doesn't that inspire us to humble ourselves? As we see him ascend to, to be seated and exalted, the right hand of the Father, doesn't that inspire us, encourage us to say, he is Lord, not me, I'm not Lord. 
And at the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, not that you're Lord, not that I'm Lord. So if that is the case, how do we crush pride? How do we walk in humility? By keeping our eyes on Jesus who has humbled himself and is now seated exalted at the right hand of the Father.